0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Today, I get to welcome to the show, Emily Williams. She is the co-founder of Think Creative Collective and an all around just amazing, amazing human being. So in today's episode, I want to start by asking kind of a radical question. What would you do if you didn't have parenting or childcare to do? I know, I know. It sounds insane. Like, what do you mean? There's time outside of parenting or childcare? Currently, I can't imagine that that exists, but some people have told me that it does. For Emily, we start off a powerful and honest discussion with a frank look at how business hours as usual don't work for her. And so she set up a business life to work three days, roughly, give or take, a week. And she bakes in lots of time for her personal needs. And she is all about living the idea of doing business differently than usual. So today's episode is such a fun one because I love geeking out about and getting inside of people's schedules. And she tells me, it's actually, it can be a real challenge for people to figure out what would you do with that extra time? If you didn't work and you didn't parent, what would you do on Friday if you had the whole day to yourself? Also, Emily is an adoptive mom and she shares the story of how her one and a half, probably almost two-year-old now, Pete joined her family in Kansas City. She talks about what the process of adoption was like, how she transitioned into becoming a mom, and her story, her journey into motherhood. She was fairly adamant for a while that she did not want kids. So after getting engaged, she started to think more about it, and she tells the story of how she eventually decided that she did want to become a mother. But it wasn't just the decision that she had to work through. She and her partner spent five years dealing with infertility issues, stemming from uh, hormonal birth control problems and endometriosis and more. We get to hear an inside look in the journey that it can take to become a parent and how she decided to adopt and what ensued there, because there's a lot that is inside of her story. What I also love about this conversation is how frank and direct she is. She talks about the racial challenges of adoption and how she's had to set up fierce boundaries for her daughter, especially with all of the unwanted comments that come her way when people tell her out of the blue what her family is or what it should be or what it should look like. She happens to look differently than her daughter. So today it is with great pleasure that I get to welcome to the show a friend of mine who I've also been fortunate enough to be in a mastermind with for the past year. She is the co-founder of Think Creative Collective. She's an avid coffee chugger, as am I now. She's a houseplant hoarder, and she's a mama. She is a wizard when it comes to business strategy. She's the person I go to when I'm like, ah, how would you build this? What would you set this up as? And this is something that has propelled her business to incredible success over the last two to three years. So without further ado, welcome Emily to the show. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Hey, hey, I made a thing and I want to tell you all about it. It's one of our new guides and it's up on our website. One of the biggest struggles in my business isn't coming up with new ideas or doing more. One of the biggest challenges is focusing, figuring out how to do less and making sure I have clarity about doing just the right things. I wish I could say that I had it all figured out and I have a magic wand to make life easier, poof, presto, but not quite. But what I do have is a structure of questions, just three questions, that I return to time and time again that helps me sort myself out whenever those piles of to-do lists are getting way too long. It's a three-step process, and I walk you through how to do it and what it looks like three questions for clarity, simplicity, and a new superpower, which is saying no to the things that you don't actually need to do. If you want the free guide, head to startuppregnant.com slash stop. That's startuppregnant.com slash stop. S-T-O-P. And you can grab the guide for free. The link is also in the show notes. It's our freebie guide for figuring out what to drop, how to do less, and how to simplify your business whenever you feel the chaos descending upon you. All right, everyone. I am so excited to have Emily Williams join us on the show. Emily, welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to have you. I know that you have hours of wisdom that we could dive into. <laughs> so first things first, I want to ask you a question I ask every guest, yep. which is what time did you wake up this morning and what did you do first?
1: Oh, this morning specifically is a good one to ask because I have child care overnight. So today is a Thursday that we're recording this. And so Penny spends the night at my parents' house every Wednesday night. And so if you would ask me any other day, my answer would be different, but on Thursdays, I sleep in, so I got out of bed at oh I think like seven forty five eight, and the absolute first thing I did was made a pot of coffee
0: oh my this i I need to go immediately do this what yeah. do you <laughs> That sounds heavenly.
1: (laughs) Yep. I made a pot of coffee. I fed the dogs. And then I went pee. And then (laughs) I think I checked Slack. And then kind of got
0: started. Kind of got started. And then do you go straight into your workday on Thursdays? And when do you Uh see your kiddo?
1: Yeah. So on Thursday, specifically, it's a very, very slow start to my day, which is awesome. We, we as in my business partner, and I work really well separately and independently. And so we come together for like meetings or interviews, but we pick theme days throughout the week. So Thursday is a selling day. And so how that looks specifically for my role I am our copywriter here at TCC. I can write really funny, long, jabby kind of posts that get people to take action. And so whatever that looks like for that day of what's needed is what I'll do. But specifically today, I wrote an email. I wrote a long form post in one of our Facebook pages for our groups for our membership. What else did I do? I think I started brainstorming some lives that we're going to do next week.
0: Mm hmm. Mm, I love schedule. I love learning about people's schedules. And can we go into this a little bit? I don't think you have a full five-day, quote-unquote, typical work week. Can you talk about what your schedule looks like? Absolutely. So
1: I have been, from day one, a very lazy human being. (laughs) In the sense of like, I like watching TV and like binging some shows and like just sitting on the deck and drinking coffee or wine or going to Target. Like I love doing those things. They give me a really quick refresher to my brain and to my day. I like taking a shower in the middle of the afternoon instead of like always having just this rigorous, like things have to be done at a certain time. So we've enabled that freedom into our business from day one. But now what it looks like, especially with the kiddo, I have child care 4 days a week from 8:30 to 4:30 and it is heavenly. I have P solely on Mondays. Every single Monday it's just her and I. So We'll hang out at the house. She's still a really great morning napper. She takes like a two, two and a half hour morning nap pretty much right after she wakes up and eats. And so we really don't get started on Mondays until like noon or one. (laughs) So in between then, I will paint, I'll drink coffee. I will just sit and think and like kind of let my thoughts gather around for what I want to do and what I want to be creating. And then her and I will kind of hang. We might go grocery shopping, planned dinners, kind of house-related stuff. Tuesday through Friday, I have child care, but I'm not necessarily working all of those times. I'm going to be paying for the childcare regardless of when I pick her up. So I kind of just use it no matter what. I would say Wednesdays and Thursdays are my fullest days for work. And that even is like starting at 930 or 10 and working until like three. Fridays is super, super flex. And Tuesdays, we have a couple of team meetings, and then we might break for afternoon independent work schedule.
0: Mm, I love seeing inside people's work Mm -hmm. lives, especially business owners and entrepreneurs and parents, because there is so much more creative flexibility in how you yes. design your life. And I think sometimes we just take the nine to five, like, oh, you know, here's an ugly old business suit. Everyone says uh-huh. I should wear it. Let's uh-huh. put it on. And you're like, this yeah. feels and looks like crap. Why am I doing well, this?
1: And we did that. We did that for the first year. Both of our partners work outside of the home in the traditional workspace of Monday through Friday, nine to five more like, you know, eight to six or something like that. Right, right. And so we did that. We woke up when they woke up, we did, you know, breakfast, we started our workday at like seven thirty or eight, like worked and worked and worked, hardly ate lunch, didn't take breaks, like weren't leaning into that freedom and flexibility that we were building for ourselves. And not surprising to anyone, we woke up one day and absolutely hated it. <laughs> and kind of checked ourselves like, Why aren't we leaning into, I can go to Target if I want to, or I can watch the show if I want to, if that serves a purpose for your brain space and whatever that you're actually needing. And so we started to build like half day Fridays in, I would say, right at the end of our first year of business. And then especially once P got here and my childcare situation was... Getting figured out because we didn't know what our childcare situation would be until about a week before she had childcare. <laughs> we just like gave that time to kind of figure out well, how often do I want childcare? How often do I want to work? And what do I want to be doing when I'm not doing childcare or work?
0: Oh, that third question is like the most interesting to me. What do I want to be doing when I'm not doing childcare or work? Which is, I think it may be for people listening who are like very new in parenting or have heard all the horror stories about how hard it can be to <laughs> quote unquote, find balance. It's just like, wait, what angel is thinking about? What is this thing that you talk about uh-huh. other than work? Uh-huh. And what does that look like for you? Like, what are the other things that fulfill Emily and yeah. your creative self?
1: Sitting outside drinking coffee. In quiet time or with my mom who lives across the street now, she comes over Monday morning, she doesn't have to go to work until like 1130 or noon. And so P is an amazing sleeper and won't really wake up or be needed to be out of her bed until like 830 or nine most days. And so I just let her chill in there. She talks to her baby. She has books. And my mom and I sit outside and just sometimes sit and drink coffee or we share what's going on in our lives and our weeks. And we're really close. So that's really helpful. I love sketching and painting, watercoloring. I kind of do that on the side, sell some stuff, not sell some stuff. I have a sunroom studio. So I'll sit and I'll paint. Podcast listening, true crime podcast listening is like (laughs) my absolute guilty pleasure. Documentaries, Netflixing. I love taking pee to just browse museums, Target, anything outdoors when it's not a thousand degrees outside. But a lot of it is just like me alone time. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is so essential, I think, for the creative self and the business self. And we don't yet quite tie it together that having those periods of time to be away from work can be Mm -hmm. the fuel that makes work better.
1: A thousand percent, especially because I'm in such a creative space. I do a lot of writing. I mean, you know this with writing all the time. Creativity needs white space to even exist. And if I don't give myself that I'm going to come up with crap content and it's going to feel like I'm pulling teeth. And if I just take an afternoon or a morning or a really long bath in the middle of the day, maybe I'll feel better about it. And time and time again, every time I take advantage of those types of situations, my work and my parenting and my cooking and my being a spouse is all better,
0: better for it. Yeah. So tell us, for people who haven't heard of TCC, Think Creative Collective, can you take us into what it is and how it started?
1: Yeah. So what it is today is an online education-based company. So what that means is we have resources both free and paid to help creative small business owners grow a profitable and sustainable business online. So we have marketing tactics, mindset tactics, Growth hacks, everything in between. How it started was a service based business and we started separately. So, TCC is a partnership, a 50 50 partnership with my co founder, Abigail. We met each other online in a Facebook group in 2015. And prior to that, we were both doing our one on one service based businesses. I was a photographer, she was a branding, marketing, website designer. At first, TCC, for about 8 months, was just a conjunction of those 2 services. So we just made bigger, more expensive, more robust packages, offering both of the things that we could bring to the table. We landed clients. We were maybe like, are we going to do this marketing boutique agency type life? Or are we just going to grow this to be bigger? And about 6-7 months into that, I called Abby and I said, if I have to pick up my camera and shoot one more jar of pickles for a business, I'm going to throw pickles out the window. Like I just can't do it anymore. I started to resent picking up the camera. I resented editing. I was putting off stuff. I hated checking my email. I didn't like waking up doing what I was doing. And so we drastically shifted in January of 2016. We took down all of our services pages. You couldn't contact us. You couldn't book us. You couldn't hire us. And we solely focused on the two things at that time that we had made digital. So we had one course and then we were starting kind of of a membership platform. And for an entire year, we just focused on selling those two things. And within eight months, we reached our first six figures and we doubled it four months later and never looked back.
0: That's amazing. You have had a really incredible, I think, growth trajectory in this business. And from the outside, it's been quite remarkable to watch how big TCC has gotten in not that long. It's been, you said it was almost three.
1: Yeah. So we'll celebrate our third year in September.
0: September 2018, celebrating your third Mm -hmm. year. So can you talk about that transition and the shift from doing services based to doing online education and what the decision making was like at that moment? And was it a gut feeling? Was it an like, how did that transpire?
1: Yeah, a lot of it was a, you know, kind of the wake up call of "Mm, I'm waking up and not liking what I'm doing. And I made this like I made this job and I don't like it. A lot of the feeling of what people escape when they go to be their own boss is having another boss and having a set of routines and rules that they don't like the non-flexible schedule, the whatever. And I felt that with clients, I felt like clients were my boss. I felt like you know their revisions and their edits and their feedback was guiding my creativity. I started to get like sick to my stomach when I would hear from clients about work that I had created because I didn't like being judged on that type of work, meaning photography and. Editing, styling, and stuff like that. I did not take it well. I wanted mostly to escape that feeling. Uh, We had a couple of one on one like strategy sessions at that point where trying like the whole coaching aspect or whatever. And I didn't like that either. I didn't like the responsibility of like, I'm just the only person that's responsible for an aha moment or success of just one other person. That was so much pressure to me. It didn't make me feel good, and it didn't make me feel like I could provide my best work. So one of the thought processes when we switched was 100% going to the one-to-many model for two reasons. A, it's more sustainable and scalable, and you're not going to get burnout out. But you also have a community of people that you're impacting together instead of you being the sole responsibility for someone liking what they got or not liking what they
0: got. Mm-hmm. So, what does the portfolio of your products and services look like today?
1: <laughs> it has shifted a lot. We definitely did what a lot of people do and kept creating courses and products and opt ins and content. Oh, my, for like a year and a half. <laughs> yep. Until we kind of figured out our bread and butter. And so, at this point, we have our signature program, which is the Strategy Academy. It is a business school of sorts for creative entrepreneurs. It takes you on. Your first two years of growth, profit, scalability, passive income opportunities, etc. We have Trello for business, which is our Easy Yes program. It's the thing that gets a lot of people into the door into our community. People call it like the gateway drug to TCC. <laughs> it's twenty nine bucks, and it teaches you how to use Trello for your online business. We have a couple of other thing, we have our membership Goal Crusher Club. It's 29 bucks a month. It helps you stay accountable to set your goals and check your data, check your numbers, check in with like the progress of your business. I know you're a numbers girl. So we do that literally every <laughs> single month with our community. And that's about it. We have our podcasts, we have our blog, we have our YouTube channel, we have our Facebook community of 20,000 people. That's free still. But yeah, it's that kind of trifecta. That's
0: the magic sauce now. Mm. And what's on the horizon? Like, what are you scheming about or thinking about over the next year or two? Like, do you have a vision for the pockets you want to grow into or the experiments you want to like play out?
1: So currently, we're in a giant experiment that is the most painful experiment ever. And definitely the biggest pivot TCC has made since the start of it. Being in existence, we are evergreening our signature program so it's a premium offer that's two thousand dollars and it's a hundred percent on evergreen. There is no live launch involved, there's no challenge there's nothing. It is a hundred percent evergreen and we've been setting up that process for about seven months, and so that's still like kind of in the works, and it's still a growing its legs and kind of getting off of a rocky foundation to a solid foundation. It's still kind of in that transition so once that's checked. There are big things we want to do. We've gotten approached a couple of times about writing a book, and that's always been a dream. I would love to do some in-person kind of podcast strategy tours. I don't entirely know what it looks like, but I want to like see the people. I want to travel and hug them and feel them and just be in the presence of some of our community members. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's called. But I do know that there is something even more higher level than what we're offering That is more of a actionable experience. I don't know if it's a mastermind. I don't know if it's a retreat. I don't know if it's a conference. I don't know what it is. But it's something along those lines of massive in-person shifts for a very, very select crowd of our audience.
0: Mm. I love hearing about what's like currently inside of people's minds and what they're building because it's this living, active thing, having a business. Uh And it's always shifting. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But amidst all of this over the last three years of meeting your co-founder online and designing mm-hmm. a structure of your day and your week that looks like how you wanted it to, which was responding to, hey, I woke up and I don't like this. I don't mm-hmm. want to do that way anymore. You also have a – she's two? Almost two? Oh, 18 months. 18 months. You have an 18-month-old. I want to ask you all about your parenting Journey. Yeah. What did the journey into parenting look like for you? Listen,
1: girl. (laughs) So every time I talk about this, I think it is important to preface this. It might give some, you know, input as to where I'm coming from. I did not always know that I wanted to become a mother. In fact, for longer in my life, I have absolutely said I do not want to become a mother. So that in and of itself, means I had thoughts like, I'm not going to be a good mother. I can't raise a child well. I didn't like some of the aspects how I was raised. So I don't feel like I can escape that for another child. I knew I would always have fertility issues. So I didn't even think like exploring other options would be an option. I didn't think that my anxiety... And kind of just those depression and anxious tendencies would go well for being a mother. But obviously, I am. So that changed. (laughs) I think more than anything, when I like, sit here, because I talk about with my family members and my friends, because everyone is surprised not only that I am a mother, but that I'm a really, really good one. Like, I'm really good at it. And I really enjoy it. Certain aspects, obviously. But I did not have an issue transitioning from not being a mother to being a mother. I am not anxious at all when it comes to her. I am a rock star at deciding how we're going to parent. I'm really, really good at educating our family members on how we're going to parent. I'm amazing at setting boundaries with childcare people and strangers because a lot of lines get crossed because of our situation. I feel like I have also dealt with our infertility and the adoption journey and the process with the agency and birth mom and all of that really, really well. So I say all that not to just go into brag town, but it's so surprising to me every single day how good it feels, even on days it's hard and crazy and ridiculous. But parenting has been really, really enjoyable for me.
0: Mm, I love it everything that you're saying, because I think that so many of these stories don't get shared enough, like, having a woman stand up and say, I'm good at this is kind of counterculture. Yes, yeah, oh, 100% first, first off and saying, like, I'm really good at this. And having somebody say, I don't know if I want to be a parent. That's also sometimes a taboo subject. Yeah. So like all of these things that you're talking about, it just gives me shivers to be able to <laughs> hear someone say these things. Because if you're saying it, there are Uh, millions of other people on the planet that also have all of these experiences and (laughs) feelings. And you've had a lot of experiences, I know, Mm -hmm. from knowing you for a short time. So you mentioned infertility and Mm -hmm. adoption. Can you Mm -hmm. share with us those stories?
1: Yeah. So... We could go into the like the scientific part of this and a whole nother conversation, so I won't get too deep into like my conspiracy theory about health but uh, <laughs> my my brief sentence is so I'm turning thirty this year, so that kind of gives everyone listening an, a little idea of like where I grew up and the time frame of life. I feel like people my age in and around my age are the first generation of people that have been on birth control for long term. We have not known the effects of that prior to what we're seeing now. I'm talking, I was on birth control for over a decade. And I know many of my girlfriends who are still on birth control and who have been on it since they were 16, 18, 20, right? And the effects of coming off of that were catastrophic to my health, my marriage, and everything in between. That's the debate I won't get down on the connections of birth control versus infertility that I'm seeing be rampant in people my age and around my age. But that to me is where the connection first started. Mm. And you I mean have hormonal birth control? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Artificial hormonal birth control. Okay. Rings, shots, pills. I've tried it all. I got put on birth control at 16 because... I had really, really painful periods. And at one point, I was home alone. I left school early. And I came home, passed out, hit my head on the stove and like no one came and found me until my parents came home from work. So it was a very serious situation. So that the only solution that was offered to me at the time was, well, let's put artificial hormones to regulate your cycle and it will regulate your pain. And it did it 100% worked. And so I did not want to get off of that. And then as I like grew up, I didn't want to become pregnant. Right. So it was very, very helpful. So then when we got married and I started coming off of birth control is kind of when everything started crumbling inside of my body and in my mind and in my emotional like space. What turns out was, quote, really bad periods was severe stage five endometriosis that could have been remedied in a different way a decade ago. But at this point, scar tissue had been built up cysts had been forming everything, right? My levels of hormones were drastically ridiculous. So I went and got a couple of tests done just to kind of see where I was. And it wasn't in a great space. I not only had like cysts blocking some of my stuff and on different organs in my body that caused the pain and inflammation, but I had like a super, super low quality and low count of eggs. And then my partner had like, every broken sperm, all of them, all broken. It was just not a thing that was going to happen. So we got one round of tests from the fertility clinic. We went home and that night we filled out our application for adoption. So it just wasn't a long conversation of like, are we going to explore other fertility options? Me coming from the space of I've dealt with an eating disorder, depression, panic attacks, and constant anxiety, I did not want to flood my body with more artificial hormones. I knew what I could and couldn't handle. And that was not it. So we decided on adoption. And that was in December of 2015. We finished our application. We got a couple of calls, I call them maybe babies, but we got our call for P in July of 2016. And she was born in
0: January of 2017. Wow. And that's like
1: the very short version. of (laughs) of that.
0: (laughs) What was that like? Can you give us a little bit of insight into the emotional journey of Being on a wait list and doing the applications and the calls. What is that experience like?
1: Yeah. So, at the time of application and deciding how we were going to adopt, we were living in Oklahoma. And I've talked about this in a couple of spaces, but the kind of bird's eye view of this is you have a couple of different options on how you want to even pursue adoption. You can work with the state and go through DHS and you can foster to adopt. You can adopt straight from the state, and all of that is free. It's all for free, for free, for free. You can work with a private agency and it costs a lot of money. And you filled an application and you have to submit a book and you get picked by a birth mom and she could change her mind. And you hope that she doesn't. And you go through the whole process and you write a big fat check and you get your baby. And then there's another option where you can work with a non for profit agency or organization, typically funded by a church or some sort of religious organization. And it's significantly cheaper they work with a lot of younger unwed unpartnered mothers in the hopes of like decreasing abortions basically and you go through counseling with this birth mom and you work with them to better their life and then you can adopt the baby at a considerably lower price i mean i'm talking i think our quotes when we were looking it was 9000 for non-for-profit and close to 40000 with a private agency oh uh, and free with dhs right so we started with DHS because that was free. And we sat through one informational meeting and I have never, ever, ever felt more guilty for what I wanted and what, where we were coming from ever in my life. It was super awkward and super weird and just it just didn't feel right. So we left that thinking, okay, well, we'll pay some and maybe we can go for non-for-profit. But we aren't religious. We're not affiliated with any religious community. And we had one meeting with this non-for-profit. You have to do like church counseling, declare your relationship with Jesus. And the mom specifically has to sign an agreement that she will not work until the child is of school age. Oh, you. Um, Me, that would be me. So I wasn't down for that. (laughs) So we left there and said, well, at this point, our options are word of mouth we're just going to hear from someone who knows someone who knows someone who needs to place or we go with a private agency and at that point we had been trying for 5 years mm-hmm. and i was done i was like i just need this to happen so we went through the private agency which i swore i would never ever go through because it felt like buying a baby and it did like it did feel like that at times but our experience could not have been more perfect. We did get some no's at first. We didn't get picked for six or seven months. But because we were in Oklahoma, we were the only open preference, meaning we didn't have a preference for gender, sex, or race. The only ones in the wow. entire state of Oklahoma who did not ask for a white baby is basically what I'm saying. Wow. Wow. So which means we got the call early and often. When you are on a waitlist for private agencies, they like to just make sure they have enough people ready for kind of just in case. So there were siblings who were about to be born. Older siblings had been placed before, and we were plan B if the people who had adopted the sibling didn't want another child. So we had to say yes to that plan B. We were plan B for babies who had just been born, but the birth mom was asking her sister's aunt's friend, you know, in another state. And if she says yes, then it can't be for you. So we were plan B for about eight babies until we got the call for P. We got the call for her. And at first, birth mom really didn't want to have anything to do with us. Like she was just like, the agency can pick, the agency can do the communication. She was just like, good with whatever. We were the only couple willing to accept a non-white baby. So we were her only option. So we didn't get picked because we were great. We got picked because we were her only option. Wow. But then she wanted to meet us, which is a great sign. So we drove five hours to have a 45-minute lunch with her and turn around and drove back, which was the most ridiculously crazy day of my life. She was 18 weeks at the time, and she was showing well. So it was like you could tell she was pregnant. And she was adorable and quiet and amazing. And she let me be weird and touch her belly and hug her and we took a picture. And then she mailed us ultrasound pictures two weeks later. And it was like,
0: that was it. It was real. Oh, I'm getting so many feels. I'm getting all the feels. <laughs> so, you got to know her and watch the process of the pregnancy. Yep. Did you have any fears or hesitations? Like, I oh, mean- every second. Okay. Yeah. Every second. Yeah.
1: Every second? Like? She could change her mind up until seven days after the birth. So, I did oh. not let out a breath until January 14th. Yeah. Period it was terrifying. We had to make decisions like, are we going to tell anyone? Are we going to tell our just our family? Are we going to tell the public? Are we going to pick out baby stuff? Are we not going to have a shower? Are we just going to sit here and pretend like nothing's happening? Or are we going to kind of lean into it? Are we going to paint the nursery? Or are we just going to shut the door? Like it was all of that. And I know that those hesitations when people are like physically pregnant, and there's always stuff that happens. But like, this is, Just, it could all be gone tomorrow. All of it. But luckily, she stayed in communication. She was super healthy. The agency has their birth moms write a birth plan. So the agency asks the birth mom every uncomfortable question you can ever think of uh, about, are we allowed... In the hospital, are we allowed in the room? Are we allowed to hold the baby? Are we allowed to see the baby At what time can we hold and see the baby? Do you want to ever hold and see the baby? like literally all of the awkward questions right so we got like a five page document of all of her answers, and it was a very, very inclusive relationship that she was allowing us to be a part of. We showed up at like three a m for her scheduled c. She led us back into her pre-operating room. I was holding her hand while they were doing all of the stuff before her surgery, getting to share the name we had picked out for her, getting to rub her belly, getting to hear the sounds. One of the doctors that I had made a relationship with, I think it was actually the head nurse of the department prior to us coming there because I wanted to be heard and be known to this department instead of just walking in like this stranger. And her and I had really hit it off over the phone. And she walked in asking for me instead of birth mom. Like birth mom had her own doctors. And then this nurse comes in and asks for me. (laughs) So it was a very like, I'm a part of this process as well. We got our own room. Our parents got to come back. They brought balloons. They brought flowers. I laid in a bed. I did skin to skin within 20 minutes of P being born. We got to bathe her. We got to pick what shots she got and when they took blood and everything, everything. (laughs)
0: we were there this is just mind-blowing in so many ways because when you when you really do start to think about what's going on and how many different people there are there's just so much sensitivity and all of the emotional layers of like what about this person's experience and this person's experience and what does happen in all of those nuanced Mm -hmm. moments and i'm learning so much just by hearing you talk about it and so you have baby p
1: yeah what was that like I had feared l- legitimately that the bonding process would be hard, that I would feel like I wasn't ready, like she wasn't mine, like there was some disconnect. And I was very, very obsessive over making that as not a thing as possible. Like I did everything I could beforehand. So I called the head nurse and made a relationship. I made myself known so we could maybe feel a part of it. I asked them to not bathe her after P was born so I could put all of her grossness on me so she could maybe identify me as someone safe for her. We did skin to skin immediately. I bought one of those like nesting days wraps for newborns where I just like walked around topless for three months, just putting her on my skin. We brought the grandparents and they all did skin to skin. That really, really close connection was super important to me to try to establish. And it worked. (laughs) It worked amazingly. That girl to this day is obsessed with me. (laughs) Obsessed with me.
0: Isn't human Um, touch so amazing? Oh,
1: Oh, I just like want to hold her all the time. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: We did a lot a lot of baby wearing and she was a perfect candidate for it. She loves to snuggle. She loves that tightness and that closeness and I think it had a huge effect in how close we are now. She is the most amazing, the most hilarious, the smartest human being I know in my entire life. We got so lucky with it. I putting this in clothes cuz everyone Listening knows what this means, but an easy baby. She slept really well. (laughs) She ate really well. Her attitude is awesome. She's so happy, so well adjusted, like from the, you know, whatever level of trauma you want to assume is happening from going from one person's womb to another woman's arms. Yeah, she's a trooper. (laughs)
0: It's amazing. We need so many people in all of our lives. There's so many more than, oh, yeah.
1: Oh, the community. It's bananas. We left the hospital. P was so healthy, remarkably healthy. We got to walk out of there with her at 28 hours, which is just... I still don't understand how they (laughs) let people leave the hospital with babies. I know. Um, Yeah. So 28 hours later, we're heading home. Well, not home. We had to stay in Oklahoma for five weeks until we could actually come home, but we made the trip. But before we left, P spent time in birth mom's room and held by her birth grandmother. And she got to meet her birth aunts and uncles and cousins and siblings. And she did that like that was documented. And we spent our last 30 minutes of being at the hospital sitting in the couch of the room of birth mom's suite, holding pee and chatting with her and chatting with birth mom's mom. And it's my mom and my dad and my partner and everyone just in this room of like, we're all making this family happen. We're making your life better because this is what you wanted to do so you could raise your other kids and go to school and live your life. And you're literally making me a mother today, right now.
0: Mm.
1: And so just the amount of like life changes that were happening that day were insane. And coming home, the way that our family has just been so like. I feel and want to hug every single person who lives away from their family or who doesn't have great support systems of like literally just for childcare. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that has been a game changer to my sanity.
0: And what does it look like over the coming years? Because I know there's a lot of different ways to do adoptions. It seems like you have a, a lot of contact with birth mom and birth mom's family. Will that continue? And how do you talk to your little one about it in the future?
1: <laughs> the idea of Open and closed adoptions and semi-open. Those are kind of the categories. Closed being, you know, no contact. You don't hear of anything. No one ever talks about it. A little bit of both is kind of where we're at. Open is like birth mom comes over for Thanksgiving or dinners or whatever, right? And everyone has a different situation. A very, very good friend of mine has very, very close open relationships with her birth moms. Okay. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, birth mom gets to decide what that means and what that means to her. We definitely have input in that and can say no to things and yes to things and set boundaries for things, which we definitely have done. At this point, it's really just been pictures that have been sent. We live five hours apart. She has children, a job, schooling of her own. There's a lot going on in both of our lives. It's an open line of communication that's not always had. So it's there and it's optional, but it's not really like a constant stream of talk. And chatter. Mm -hmm. That could change at any moment from either one of us. I could call her up tomorrow. She could call me up tomorrow and we could talk about stuff. How we're navigating telling P, A, we can't hide it. I'm white, she's black. So, like, that's going to be a discussion on why do we look different. But I have always been in the camp, regardless of even if we looked identical, that this is her story and she deserves to know every detail that she wants to know about it. We have a baby family album. So it's one of those like soft cover books. And there's a picture of her ultrasound in there. There's a picture of me and my partner sitting in the parking lot about to meet birth mom. Like we took a selfie right before then. There's a picture of grandparents holding her at the hospital. There's all of that. So we talk about her journey. This is the day we met you. This is the day we brought you home. This is the day all of these things happened, just like you would with any other kid. And so it's not a secret. And it's not this like astonishing fact of her life. She already on some level knows it. And anytime she's going to ask a question, we have chosen to 100% answer honestly. Mm. And so I don't know if that'll change when she's significantly older right now. Like we are 100% mom and dad, Like there's no other option for her. But I also think that because of how we're establishing our inner circle of community, meaning she goes over to my parents' house every single week, she's watched by a lot of people. She has amazing godparents that are very active in her life. She is used to not having just like a mom and a dad. Like she's got a lot of people. And those are an extent of her people.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's some cool research you're reminding me of, and it's been forever since I've read it. But it's like the more that we know our grandmother's stories, it's like correlated to, I think, health and wellness. I'll have to dig it up and see if I can find it. But it's like just the more grounding we have. It's like the more fibers or threads in all of the different stories. Like, oh, this aunt and this uncle over here. But like this was the community member that took you during this time of your life. And this is like the crossing guard that you knew for 20 years. Like the more stories we have, the more healthy we are, which I find so interesting.
1: As humans, that's all we ever want to know. Where did I get this from? Why am I like this? What impact did this have? Like, even as a grown adult, I ask my parents those things often. And so my mom had a secret about her biological father come out after she had me. The man that she knew as her dad, dad was not her dad.
0: Hmm.
1: And that sucks. And the trauma of that and the impact of that, that my mother in her fifties is still dealing with is unacceptable. It should not have ever been a thing. And if I can avoid any sort of identity crisis for P, that's what I'm going to do. In fact, for her first birthday, someone gifted us the Ancestry DNA kit and so as soon as she knows how to spit into a tube, we're getting all of her like history. Oh, so we cool. can kind of build like, who is she? What yeah. what makes her up?
0: Like, what are all the stories and the pieces? Yeah. And it's so interesting because so much of this is related to shame. It's like we hide yes. different threads and it's like, oh, there's so much moralizing about it, too. For people listening, I'll link to one of the Dear Sugars episodes where they talk about a similar story. It's, you know, not knowing who your birth parents are, mm-hmm. or like finding out later that, somebody else is actually your parent and what that Uh, does to people. mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's a lot of times it was because, you know, young unwed mothers were cast aside out of society. So they would You know, say, oh, so and so's gone for a year and they'll be back at the end of the year. And oh, look, we also had a baby. And 100%. People aren't dumb. People could figure it out, right? They're Mm -hmm. like, we know that that baby didn't come out of your skinny body, but like, we'll go ahead and we'll believe this because that's the proper thing to do. But, uh, well, but like, the that was exactly
1: yeah. 100%. That was my mom's situation. Her mother was a young, unwed mother. She got kicked out of her apartment when they found out she was pregnant. So there had to be this shuffling of cover-up so she could legit live in an apartment. And so she had her sister come move in with her to show that there were two bodies so they could at least hear like two sets of feet walking around and two people leaving for the day. And they looked enough alike to just be like it was always the same person and they, they must never just see the yeah. man. And my mom legit slept in a drawer of a dresser while they were hiding the presence of an infant.
0: Isn't that so interesting? I'm going to send you this episode. And for people yes. listening, I'm going to put it in the show notes too, because I've. Been, it's funny, we just stumbled into this. The other thing it reminds me of this is random, but people listening know that like, this is how podcasts go sometimes. The other thing it reminds me of is I was reading somewhere about like all of the sex fantasies that people have. And there's like 20 of them. There's like only twenty, but what? every person thinks that theirs are the weirdest, and that they're so <laughs> shamed about them, and that no one else is like them. But if you take the like seven billion people in the world divided by the twenty fantasies, that's it. There just aren't that many more stories. People are like, oh no, it's me. That's so weird. It's like actually, like most actually of the humans not. in the world also think about that thing that you think about that you don't think anybody else thinks about. And it's one of those things where if you just kind of like spoke up or shared it, yeah. may, maybe at a dinner party, not at a breakfast meeting like whatever you do you but it's just Uh, so interesting to me because all of the secrecy creates all of this like ah I'm so fascinated by it okay I actually have a more serious or maybe we can take it in whatever direction you want to go whatever yeah question for you and that's about you mentioned you're a white mom and you have a black-skinned little girl what is that like and I know because I've read some of the stuff that you've written about that people can be very obnoxious and insensitive uh-huh. and rude. Uh-huh. Talk uh-huh. to me about that experience.
1: A common theme that came out when I was sharing a lot of the, what I call people say before, before P was born and shortly after she was born, I heard from multiple people that said, as soon as she's not an infant anymore, this will slow down. And I was like, you're lying. Like, I don't understand. But there is this weird, and if anyone has any actual research on this, I would love to hear it. There is this weird dynamic of like we do not treat infants as human beings. And like we literally just treat them as just like cute, adorable objects or whatever we like are attributing to what they look like and how they make us feel. And so as soon as an infant turns into a toddler baby type situation, we recognize that they're an actual human. And so we don't say obnoxious stuff to them and about them as blatantly as we do when there are newborns in the situation. Okay. That's so interesting. Uh Uh-huh. I should have like actually made a study, which I can, but the amount of stuff that was being said when P was an actual newborn baby versus even six months ago when she was just a year old, night and day, night and day. Interesting.
0: I wonder why that is. We'll have to figure out.
1: Yeah. I want to know someone, please like know the actual facts behind what (laughs) I'm trying to say, but it is an actual thing. And I've heard it from multiple people who have interracial families or kids with disabilities or anything like that. People say obnoxious stuff to newborns and it simmers down the older that they get. So that has been true for our case. There was, you know, just obnoxious stuff when she was a little baby of like, where is she from Africa? Just these very strange, like, you know, black people can't exist in the Midwest type of conversations. And that was hurtful and obnoxious, but just like really opened my eyes to like, are you freaking kidding me? Now, the thing that we're shifting into it's so frustrating for me, and I haven't figured out the best way to handle it, because I just tend to like snap at people. Penny is stunning. She is beautiful. She is literally the most beautiful human I've ever seen in my life. Her skin is amazing. Her eyes are big. Her hair is gorgeous. Like she is like model baby material. She's a good looking baby. She's a good looking baby. I cannot for the life of me raise a daughter that only hears how beautiful she is. I just can't. And the amount of strangers that will comment on her looks is baffling to me this is what I get. We're in Trader Joe's. We're in target. She's walking around. She's in the cart, whatever. Oh my God. She is beautiful. Or, Oh my God, that hair or Oh, her skin. Or like, it's literally just this like dramatic thing. Every single time, five times at target in one shopping spree. I just went to Trader Joe's two days ago. Five people said something about how she looked in Trader Joe's. Yeah. In like 30 minutes.
0: And it's the accumulation of it, too, that's even more insidious because they don't have the experience of how many other people are also doing what they're doing.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. And so I follow it up by about the third time I hear it, I follow it up with, and she's brave and smart and strong. (laughs) Like, I'm just so over this, like, quit looking at my daughter like this. And so that's something I'm still navigating and trying to figure out really how to tackle. I mean, we just try at home the best we can to use other phrases and not comment on her appearance and read strong books and all of that type of stuff. But it is the most frustrating thing.
0: Mm. There's so much cultural conditioning in all of this, like you can do your best as a parent. But someone told me the other day, that if you look at little girls clothes, and you look at little boys clothes, all of little boys clothes are predators. Yep. And all of little girls clothes are prey, bunnies and things that get caught and foxes and wolves and all that are on the boys. And you're like, yep. Oh, well let's dress them like this for 10 years and pretend it has uh-huh. no effect uh-huh. 100%. on our, on our psyche and our subconscious. And uh-huh. we do this to feminize the girls. We just constantly tell them how beautiful they are. And yep. I don't know. I'm just I'm right alongside you. What is the answer? Like, how do what is
1: the answer? And I have tied my self worth for so long and continue to battle this around my weight and my appearance, so much that it ended me in therapy as a child for an eating disorder. And I like come hell or high water, that is not going to be her life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure every year we'll have a new like, there's just a new discovery and a new opening what do you Mm -hmm. wish other people knew more about parenting? Like what do you wish was more common in our culture or that more people were aware of? So
1: my best friend works with kids. She's a therapist for kids with problematic sexual behaviors. She is an amazing human being who's doing an amazing, amazing work every single day. But part of that, she just knows so many parenting tactics. She knows how to facilitate timeouts effectively, Mm -hmm. um, ignoring techniques effectively, how to calm kids down from tantrums, how to praise properly, all of the things. And I come to her 17 million times a day with how do I handle this? What do I do here? And if I could grant anyone anything, I wish that they had that type of resource. I'm trying to get her to have a blog and have like a YouTube channel and stuff so she can facilitate that knowledge to the common people. Instead of just being in her bubble of therapy, but it's all research-based stuff. And that's what I'm down for. But I was just told the other day by someone who said, I can't remember the context of the conversation, but the sentence was something like, well, and you know, since you're parenting so different and dot, 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 and we talked about something else. And it really stuck with me. Of like, am I actually parenting that different and different than what? Like, different than what exactly. I'm empowering my child to be a human. I talk to her like she's a human instead of an infant that doesn't understand words. She has natural consequences. I let her fall when I know she's going to remain safe. I ignore her a lot. We don't do TV. We don't do sugar, various different things, right? But it's a different way of parenting. And so I have gotten access to those types of decisions through lots of research, through lots of reading, through lots of asking and trying stuff. But I have found that the more conversations I have with other mothers in my area, especially that a lot of those techniques, like people still haven't heard of. Like I was just chatting with a girlfriend of mine last night about our level of when we ignore P when she's doing undesirable behaviors and it was baffling to them. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is... A, I wish you all had access to my friend, Amanda, so you could just text <laughs> her and ask what your parenting questions are, but do what feels right, right now. Like the amount of times that Amanda tells me, you can't mess this up. Like you talk to her and you tell her that you love her and you listen to her every day as humans. That's really all we need. If you just talk to your kid, they're going to be fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is so interesting. So we should have like a whole separate show where you and I talk parenting strategies. Because yeah. <laughs> there's so much about you're saying we're like, uh-huh, I'm, uh-huh. Uh-huh, I'm just uh-huh, nodding uh-huh. overhead. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we let Leo fall. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We're in that fuzzy limbo space where there's an old parenting kind of dominant narrative of this is what you should do and this is what it's supposed to be like. But so many people are breaking out of it and doing new yeah. things. And there's so many different threads and patterns of what does it look like to parent nowadays? And what didn't work, frankly, from the way we were raised, especially the helicopter parenting generations, you're making me think I just want an app where I can text five smart people and be like, so, you know, what do I do? (laughs) Like, in these bizarre situations, and my husband always says, we just need to be consistent and boring. And my therapist says, we just need to be good enough parents. Like, we're not gonna be perfect, just good enough, which means you don't have to do everything well. Like you don't have to do everything right. You don't have to do everything well. You just need to be good enough enough. and boring and consistent where it's just like, Nope, we don't take our pants off outside. Nope. (laughs) We still don't take our pants off outside. Hey, same day. different. You know, it's just Uh like (laughs) uh (laughs) Alex sometimes says, I will get you with boredom. (laughs) I can do it. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. The amount of times I've said the most random sentences, uh, please don't bite my laptop. (laughs) I said that the other day. Uh, Please don't smear your chicken into the table. That'd be great. Yeah.
0: Or from my husband growing up, we don't hit people in this family was one of Mm -hmm. the things his mom said to him. We don't hit people in this family. And his response was, they're not in our family. Oh, (laughs) Yep. Yep. And I was like, yep. as they get older and smarter and older and smarter, they start to yep. outwit you and you're like, Oh, you're keeping oh. me on my toes. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Ours is uh hands are not for hitting. <laughs> yeah. So recently I texted Amanda something cause I, I freak out about every little thing that she does. And she came in, she was playing in the hallway and she comes into the living room and we have just this small lightweight round side table from target. And it was just kind of sitting in the middle of the living room cause it gets moved around. And she just walked straight up to it and made eye contact with me and just took both of her hands and just sh- shoved it, just pushed it over. And it hit the hardwood floor. And I kind of like looked at her like, what the hell, man? Yeah. And then like looked away at the wall because I'm ignoring her. And she just walks off and does whatever she wants. And so I text Amanda and I was like, this little snot, like that's <laughs> my furniture. She shouldn't be pushing furniture. Like that's so rude. All of these things. And Amanda's like, dear. She does not know the difference between shoving over a table and coming over and like tapping your knee and saying, hey, mom, like literally, if you give her attention when she taps you on the knee and says, hey, mom, and not give her attention when she
0: shoves over the table, she won't shove over the table anymore. And I was like,
1: oh, okay, it really is that simple.
0: It is. It's that flat, like, non-responsiveness. Yes. It's like in learning psychology, it's, you know, uh, not reinforcing the behaviors you don't want. But it's a weird thing because we've been cultured differently. It's a weird thing to just be like, I'm going to stare at you stone-faced while you do something I actually... Don't like.
1: I can't stand that you're doing that right now, but I have to have a poker face on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. (laughs) Now I want to ask your friend Amanda about this. The other thing that I do that has worked well, and this is just from my own like random trial and error, not from any parenting gurus or experts that I know of. When Leo gets so angry, like things are frustrating and he's mad, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can just see it start to bubble up and his whole body gets all frustrated. And then he screams. There's so much wind up into wanting uh-huh. to hit something. Or just, yeah. ah! I actually just end up mimicking everything he does. So <laughs> if he starts to get really angry, I go, Oh, we're angry. We're... And I'll yeah. like pound my fist and I'll like furrow my brow and I'll stomp and I'll make a lot of noise. And he does it and then he lets it out. And then he just kind of looks at yep. me, his eyebrows raise. He's like, what is this weird parent yeah. doing? But I feel like there's something like this community connective storytelling piece of when somebody sees you and witnesses you and tells you like, Hey, I see what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And this is what it Mm -hmm. feels like to have Mm -hmm. that feeling, especially for little boys. Yes.
1: Yes. Feel the feels, Leo. Feel feel them. That, right? Like
0: you're angry and that's okay. I'll be angry with you. And then the little thundercloud moves along. (laughs)
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I will absolutely ask her about mimicking because I have wondered that same thing as well. But yeah, we do very similar stuff in our household of like, she has that burst of, it's not even anger. It's just like all of this energy in their little bodies. And that that's the way that they're choosing to get it out and she'll punch the couch or she'll just like kind of throw one toy. But I, she's not like, you know, I'm going to throw this toy at you. It's just this like burst of energy. And we just like try to ignore it and simmer it down and calm down. I see that you're upset. I see that you're hurt, whatever the thing is, because I want to acknowledge that you can absolutely feel that way. And I want you to choose safe things to get that out. But we all have that. Yeah. And I want you to lean into that and feel it and know that I'm still going to love you when you feel that you can have those emotions around me and and you're safe and you're okay.
0: Yes. Oh, Emily. I love this. I love talking (laughs) to you. Thank you for sharing so much of your business journey and your parenting philosophy and your parenting journey. I mean, we could all sit and have coffee with you for three hours. A
1: thousand percent. I have 80 more things to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to have you back. So where can people find you, find out more about you, both the creative side and the business side?
1: Yeah. So if you want to follow along with me personally, I'm on Instagram at Emily says my name is spelled funky. So maybe check the show notes to see how my name is spelled and just head over to Instagram. You can follow along with my business journey at thinkcreativecollective.com. We're on Instagram. Facebook, everywhere at Think Creative Collective. We have a lot going on, a lot of free stuff. Oh, our podcast, the Strategy Hour podcast. It's a business tactical action step type of thing that's kind of turned into just like these type of conversations but about business so yeah. very loose and chill and explicit so if you are listening around kids maybe you know you just you do you you decide <laughs> you,
0: <do> you. <laughs> explain what the f word is or put your headphones in whichever exactly. you want to do <laughs> we choose to explain what the f word is so <laughs> <laughs> oh this is so great and you know i always say this and i mean it Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.